Yeah, you can clap. That's fun. That's really fun stuff. And so it's, uh, if you stay in a church long enough, you get to see God do amazing things. Uh, like I remember Josh in high school was a sophomore with a beanie and an electric guitar and wouldn't talk to anybody. And here God is sending him out and using him in great ways. Um, so here we are. We're in January. And if you know our church in January, we always kind of take the first uh, three or four weeks and we try to make sure, okay, let's, let's attack this year uh, appropriately. Let's look at, okay, what is, uh, what's going on and how can we address it um, biblically and faithfully as Christians? Uh, so as I prayed through, you know, what, what should we do and how should we approach this, one of the things that just kind of kept coming back to my mind over and over and over again was, you know, the, that first election year, I say first, the last time we had an election, I feel like it just ripped apart so many Christians. There was just so much confusion and anger and hurt. And it's like, man, we have one coming up again. And it'd be my great prayer in my heart that we would not do that. We would not lose our minds no matter who gets elected. We would not lose uh, our hope and our joy and our sense of purpose and our calling. That as things unfold and maybe you feel freedoms being stripped and changing and, and things being um, completely uh, maybe turned against you even, that you would stick to the script that God has called you to. That you would faithfully look and adhere to what God has for you. And I truly believe as we get there, you'll see the answer to the crisis in front of us, or maybe not a crisis, but chaos, is that we would be fully mature in Christ. It is in maturity or in our maturity that we're able to withstand the chaos and stay to where God would have us to stay. And so we're going to look through, you know, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? And part of that is seeing that your time, your talent, and your treasure is stewarded fully for the purposes of God. That God created you with a brain and a heart to be used to love him and serve him. And when you, you put those things together, uh, you essentially, God's gifted you, and now you have to steward that gift. That's what we get in verse 25. He says, according, a minister according to the stewardship from God. And in verse 24 tells you, for the church. So this is what Paul says. He's stewarding his mind, his heart, and his soul for the church that everyone might be presented mature. And so that's what we want to do. We wanted to address this and say, how can I work towards maturity? Now, there's two things to understand. One, maturity is for everybody. Maturity is for the person who's old, we won't say what that age is, and the person who's young. Because maybe you're mature in a lot of areas of your faith, but you're never going to be completely mature in every area. There's always something you're working on. Uh, two, it's not for a kind of person. It's not for just leaders in the church. It's not just for uh, people who want to teach. Maturity is for everybody. That's why he says he wants to everyone Everyone fully mature in Christ. And so what we want to do is walk through uh, not just its importance, but we want to walk through the actual necessity of it, is that maturity is so important. You, you know, I think you, I think you guys share this desire with me. When you have kids, there's this, there's this push-pull, right? You don't want them to grow up, but you do. Like, you don't want them living at your house 28, playing video games and eating your food, but you also wouldn't mind if they stayed, you know, little. And you have that balance. I was just having that talk with my girls. I have two girls. 
uh, we were having breakfast, and we, we decided that elementary is the best place in the world. It's the place you should just stay, because junior high is scary, and high school is even scarier. And there was some, some truth in that. It's like, man, elementary, you have recess and snacks, and you have one teacher. There's all these fun, great things. Unless that one teacher is crazy, one of my daughters pointed out. But still, mostly, it's so good. And so there was this push, and I wanted to tell them, just stay in elementary. But I couldn't, because it's like, well, no. There's so much ahead of you. There's so much for you, and I want that for you, and I want you to grow, and it is scary. But that's okay. And there's joys, and there's loves, and there's losses, and there's all these things that, that's good for you to mature. I want you to mature. Mature is a healthy thing. But there's a difference, as I was thinking through this. There's a unique difference to spiritual maturity and raising your kids. See, like raising your kid, success usually is moving from dependence to independence, right? You don't want them still calling you at age 35, how do I fill the gas tank? Did you pay my insurance, right? You want them independent, able to be on their own, self-sustaining. I mean, you still want to be a part of their life, but they could take care of themselves, right? That's what you work so hard for. Well, spiritual maturity is actually the opposite. You move from independence to total dependence on Christ. You look at Paul through the New Testament, all of his writings move from a greater dependence on God. He starts off as an apostle. It's like an office. And then he talks about, you know, being a fellow elder. And then you look at his last writings. He's like, I'm a slave for Christ. Like, he can't do anything without the master telling him what to do. So it's a total dependence on Christ. And so that's what's very interesting about spiritual maturity is that it is the exact complete opposite. And so what I want you to do is I want to walk through this text. I want to provide some other texts. And I want you to, don't just take my word for it, but let's look through. We're commanded to grow in the Bible. We're commanded to be, uh, show growth over time. Okay, so let's look at some of these texts, write them down. I'm going to move through them kind of fast. So write it down, come back and visit it, but I want you to see the importance and the truthfulness in Scripture. First one is 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 2 through 3. He says, look, he says, I fed you with milk, right? So that's an infant, something very basic and simple. Not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So this is very key in understanding, is sometimes people get embarrassed that maybe they don't know where the book of Lamentations is. They don't know the difference between Elisha and Elijah, Right? And so there's this, this insecurity. But what does he say? He says, you're not ready for it. That's okay. Do you, you yell at, do you yell at a baby? Why can't you eat steak? The baby doesn't even have teeth. You don't get angry at the baby. You give the baby what it can take. Okay? And, and so that's why the Bible uses this imagery. It's like, hey, you weren't ready for it. And he says, and even now you're not ready. Okay? There's a but, right? Four. You are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, and you are not the flesh and behaving only in a human way. I love babies, but they're really selfish, aren't they? Right? It's me, 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 me all the time. It's all about them. And he's saying, in your infancy, you are of the flesh. You're jealous. Give me the attention. Don't look at her. Look at me. Feed me. And it's not that that's wrong. That's a natural state for everybody. 
And here's the thing, you might be really mature in your faith in a lot of things, but maybe when it comes to patience, you're an infant. And that's okay. But the goal is that you would not stay there. Like if, you, if, you're, if you're only drinking milk and you're a baby, that's fine. But if you're 30, right, the diet should progress. So it's one thing to be there. It's another thing to stay there. Look at our next text, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. This is the point of the passage. You should have grown by now. You should have grown by now. And I think some of us, it's like, well, I said a prayer. I'm a Christian. And what you know now is not different than what you know, you know, knew 30 years ago when you said the prayer. And the writer of Hebrews is, is kind of poking at him saying like, hey, you've been in church a long time. You've been at this a while, meaning it's okay that you were there, but you shouldn't still be there. You ought to be teaching. It's like, but hey, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, there's two ways to approach this. You can be embarrassed or you can just simply accept this is where I am. This is where I am. And it's not, it's, it's naturally a part of life, right? Like you're the perfect parent until you have kids. Then all of a sudden you realize it's not so easy. It's so different. There's so many things that come attached to it. So what you thought was being patient and you thought was being kind and you thought was being selfless, all of a sudden everything changed and now it takes on a totally different role in being a parent. And then you have to parent a teenager and then adult children. And then you have to parent your parents, right? There's all these stages. And so you might have to go back to a principle in the word of God and say, what does it actually mean to forgive? Because it's not a friend that hurts you, it's a spouse. It's a kid. It's someone you love deeply. And all of a sudden that forgiveness principle just isn't quite the same. And you have to go back to the milk, the pure milk of forgiving as Christ forgave you. Okay? 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. The Bible is very straightforward, isn't it? Okay. Unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So now I hope for what you're seeing is on the case for maturity, on why maturity is because it benefits you. It benefits you. You have to see this. This just isn't a, this is what the pastor's supposed to say. This is, this is what every Christian is supposed to say. This is saying literally you need to have the ability to discern between what is right and what is wrong. Would you agree that now more than ever the lines are blurry? if there is even a line at all. And it says it's taking maturity through knowing the word of God to be able to discern this. Well, why would you want to be able to discern this? Okay, go to, the, go to Ephesians 4. And this is, this is the apex of why. Verse 14 says that we may no longer be children. See the emphasis? No longer. There's always the idea that you will not stay You'll be there because it's natural, but you won't stay there. Tossed to and fro by the waves 
carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's literally saying you need to grow so that the wave comes, you know to run. You know it's a wave. Have you guys seen the waves coming in through California lately? See, in your immaturity, when you're a little kid, you look at that and you're like, that's really cool. But what should you be doing? Running. Running. It's, I mean, think about this. When you're a little kid, you see a hot stove, you're like, I wonder what that's like. You want to put your hand on it. You see a light socket. You're like, I wonder what goes in there. Does a pen go in there? It's your natural wandering of your mind that wonders because it doesn't know that it's harmful. See, here's the problem, and I think in the American church, in the American culture, is that there are so many things coming and we lack the maturity to say, that's bad, run. We see things like, being woke and DEI and all this, you know, equality and all these things are like, ooh, let's, that sounds fun. Let's click that. Let's listen to that. And little do you know, that's a wave that wants to absolutely crush the fabric of your soul and rip everything from you that the Word of God has taught you. And God says in His Word, it is His desire rather then be ripped by the wave that you would be able to grow in a way that you can see the wave coming and remove yourself, remove yourself so that you're not crushed by it. But he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, every way, every way. There is not any facet of us that should not grow. Into him who is the head, into Christ. So here's my heart going through this text for you. Is that when the chaos comes, that we would not be crashed by the waves. And here's what's, what's sad. Is it's not just government or social media or, or, you know, influencer leaders of all these startup companies. It's even in the church. It's even in the church. It's church ran by children that want you to have an emotional experience and experience all these great things. And you think it's going to be so amazing and so great, but it literally just comes down and it crushes you because it does not prepare you when you get cancer, when your spouse says they don't love you, when your kids say they don't want to be around you, when your company moves to Texas and leaves you jobless, when you have a miscarriage, the emotional experience is gone and the wave has beaten you because you lack the maturity to see that it could not help you, could not sustain you. It was not actually solid food. It was fool's gold. Maturity is so important. God says so that you will not be hurt by the waves. You will not be hurt by the waves. So as we can see, this is why Paul comes and he tells them, I need to teach everyone. I need to warn everyone with wisdom. I'm in verse 28. That we can present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone. I want everyone to know who Christ is. There's no one that shouldn't know. Because it is what will save them, not just from hell, but from the waves of life that will crush you. From the deceit of life that will steal you. They need to know Christ. And they need to be mature 
so that they will be saved. And so how does he answer this question? How do you get mature? Well, what does he say in verse 25? To make the word of God fully known. The word of God fully known is how you mature. The word of God has been called milk and has been called meat. It is the substance that grows us, that helps us survive the chaos and the tragedies of life. And what you have in Colossae here is you've had false teachers come in. And they're saying you can't really know God. That's a form of Gnosticism or agnosticism. You can't know. And they're saying, but we know because we're special. We have a special revelation, relationship. You should trust us. And they're trying to steal them away from the church, steal them away from their faith, make them followers of themselves. So Paul writes this and said, no, God is to be made fully known. God wrote it down so you can know exactly who he is, what he's done, and how he loves you. You have to know him. And as you know him, you'll love him and you'll grow and you won't be deceived by false teaching and the schemes of the world and the schemes of the devil. So he lays it out for them. So you see the beginning of this correlation between knowledge and relationship. The more you know, the more you will love. I want you to think of it this way. If you, you know, think of the first date you had with your spouse, what you knew about them in that moment. If you know nothing more than what you knew then now, let's say 20 years later, you're in a bad relationship, right? That's a bad relationship. You don't know anything. You've just been using each other to feel good about it, but there's actually no relationship because it hasn't grown at all. If you're dating someone, it's usually guys who do this, and the guy never asks you anything about you, he doesn't care about you, he's using you. Relationships come with a knowledge of who they are. It's a part of growing and having a relationship. Think of this, your kid, when they were born, and then when they're five, do you know more about them at age five than zero? If you know the same thing at zero as you do five, there's a problem. You're a bad parent. Because they talk now and they have interests and likes and dislikes and temperaments and tantrums, right? And proclivities and inclinations and all the fun things, idiosyncrasies. There is always a depth of knowledge with the depth of relationship. The two coexist. Now, what you have to see on how this maturity works is is you start with knowing, right? Who is God? Who is Christ? How would he send his son to die for me? So you want to know him, but there has to be more than just knowledge. Growing up, um, I've kind of always been a nerd, so I'll just throw that out there. So for me, like what would help me escape the chaos of growing up was like, I love sports. I love to play sports. I love to read about sports. And we were poor. So like we didn't have cable. So all I could do, someone asked me like, why would you watch the Phoenix Suns? Because I lived in Arizona and it was the only channel we had. So I knew lots about them and I collected basketball cards and I would read about them. And so we're talking, you know, 20, 25 years later, I'm on a plane and I'm coming from Arizona to Bakersfield. And I see a six foot 10 guy whose head's kind of like tilted in the plane. And I'm like, he had to play basketball. I know I stereotyped, right? And so 
I'm looking, I'm staring at him. I'm like, he's going to catch me staring at him. And so I figure it out. He's Mark West. He played for the Phoenix Suns. And I was like, Mark West, oh, you played for the Suns. You had a great run in 92. How was Old Dominion? Right? I'm rattling off all this stuff. You were drafted by the Cavs. And he's like looking at me like I'm crazy. But we start talking, right? And we start talking about his time at the Suns and how he got traded and what it was like to be a rookie and his teammates and how they work for the organization. And I just knew way more than any one person should, right? And so we get off. I did invite him to church, okay? You're all judging me. I see it. At the end of the conversation, I was like, hey, I don't know how long you're here, but if you want to come to church, he's like, no, I'm here to scout um, some basketball players. I can't. And I'm like, well, if you can make it, we'd love to have you. He's like, after that stalker pastor talked to me. But here's my point. I knew a lot about him, but we had no relationship. I didn't know his wife. I didn't know his kids. I didn't know his faith. I knew nothing about him. Just because I could rattle off facts about him does not mean I had a relationship with him. And so in the process of how maturity works, it's moving from knowledge to the application of knowledge because you care about that person. You care about what you know. This is why the New Testament is so riddled with, hey, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. It connects the idea of knowing and doing. And so when he says he wants God to be fully known, he's not saying just facts about God, but fully experienced. He says that God desires that you would fully know what he wants and that you would actually do, experience what he wants because it's best for you. It's absolutely the best thing for you. And that's moving into maturity, is that you don't just think what God says, he's the anti-fun God. It's just a set of rules. It's like, no, I've done what he's asking, and it's the best thing for me. His way of marriage is the best. His way of being a citizen is the best. His way of being a friend is the best. The best parenting, the best finances. Maturity, going back to our previous passages, is the ability to discern that's fool's gold. Experiencing following Christ is the absolute best thing I could do. Okay, so that's where maturity starts to come in. As you're moving from knowledge to knowledge plus application. And all of a sudden you're able to discern when things are off and wrong because you've read, you've experienced, you've walked with him. So this is Paul walking it through. He's like, I'm stewarding the gifts God gave me so that the word of God could be fully known to everybody. Okay? And it's a mystery, this mystery that how could God love sinners? He says, I'm here to tell that mystery. Now pick it up in 27. And that he wants to make known how great among the Gentiles are the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants everyone to know the glorious riches of a God who would love sinners. And that when you have faith in that Christ, in Jesus, he is the hope that is in you. That's how maturity comes. And so when life presents you options and you have an election going on, and they're throwing out crazy things about changing amendments and taking your rights and changing your freedoms. You see all of this chaos. But you know God. 
You know he's sovereign. You know he loves you. You've trusted him before. And it is in that glorious knowledge that you don't freak out. That you don't go full revenge crazy mode. You step back and say, my role is to love Christ in this chaos. And to model that in my family, model that in my job, model that in my friendships. Because I've trusted God when we had a miscarriage. I've walked with the Lord when my spouse hated me. I've been with Christ when my company moved and I lost my job. I've trusted Christ when I was told I had cancer or another altering disease. And I know by experience the God whom loves me, who sent his son to bear the wrath of God in my place. So I'm not gonna fret. I'm not gonna freak out. I'm not gonna chase the wave. I'm actually gonna go back from the wave. See, that's how the process of maturity works. You're not gonna depend on the culture to soothe you. You're not going to depend on chemicals. You're not going to depend on activities. The word of God fully known is what allows you to stand and see and warn. That's the beginning of maturity. See, but here's the thing. Maturity takes time. You don't get there overnight. Uh, It's like so much of our culture understands this right now. We want certain things, but we want it overnight. Like so many of you want to read your Bible, and I love that. But right around March, you're going to quit because Leviticus is going to come up, right? You're going to be like, that makes no sense to me. Maturity is saying, hey, this is going to be hard, but I need to figure this out. Not because I get some special ribbon or award for reading Leviticus, but there's something in Leviticus about God's law and how God hates sin and how God loves me and how God's holy. And it's going to take me work to put that together, but I love him because Christ died for me and I'm going to do the work so that I can understand what that means, so I can understand how he loves me. So you begin to put that framework together. And again, you don't, you don't yell at an infant when they can't drive. How long does it take to go from infancy to driving? 16 years, it should be 25 years, but 16 years, right? And you don't get angry that it can't do that. You don't, because it's a natural process. Some of you are probably going to start going to the gym, and you want to lose 30 pounds overnight. It's not how it works. You want to gain 20 pounds of muscle. It's not how it works. You want to be 10 times smarter than you were yesterday. It's not how it works. Maturity takes time. And that's okay. But you have to start somewhere and you have to stick to that process. This is why Paul's language is so important. He's toiling, struggling with all of his energy, all of his energy. He's saying, I'm giving everything I have so that everyone might be mature in Christ. Why is that so important? Because Even then, same thing now, you have false teaching. People need to not be led astray. You have persecution. People need to not lose hope. 
in light of that persecution. And you need to stand strong because he who's in you, right, the hope of Christ in you is greater than he who's in the world. And you need to stand in that and you won't unless you're mature. Maturity is to your benefit, not to your shame. It's a benefit to know you don't need to put your hand on the stove. You already know, right? It's a blessing. You know that. Putting it on the stove hurts. Putting the pen in the light socket hurts. I don't need to do that. I already know that. But do you know that when it comes to forgiving people? Do you know that when it comes to not cheating on your spouse? Raising your kids in the things of the Lord? Identifying your sexual preferences? Raging against the government? Do you know God's way is actually better? In the same way you know killing people is bad. Drugs is bad. Do you know it in that same way? See, that's maturity. Knowing God's word, applying God's word. So then what does maturity look like? Maturity looks like, I'm going to give you some verses here. Okay? And I want you to see the totality of it. Because remember what I said. Christianity, maturity is actually the opposite process. It's moving from independency to total dependency. It's that movement to depending on Christ more and more and more of your life. More and more of you searches the scriptures, prays and asks questions, God, how can I be more like your son, Jesus? Okay, first verse, John 3, 30. He must increase, I must decrease. When you approach a situation, it's moving from, well, I think we should do this, and I, and I, and I, and I, to Okay, let's remove me. What does God's word say about that? Let me pray before I even start to formulate. God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? How should I respond? Decreasing us, increasing Christ. Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul, man, through the process of his letters, you just see this. The more and more he gives himself to Christ, the better. His time, his talent, his treasure, his health, his, his, his freedom. The more he gives, the more he's like, there's nothing greater than knowing, loving, and following Jesus. You don't get there overnight. You don't come to church, hear a sermon, and wake up in your Paul the next day. Paul starts at a very slow pace. It's three years from his conversion in Acts 9 till he even goes to Galatia. And you see him in the book of Galatians confronting Peter. Some would even argue it might have been 10 years. Okay, years of growth. But if you don't believe there's nothing better than loving and following Jesus, you won't run through that brick wall to get to that next level of trust. And the beauty of this text, he says, is which Christ in you, meaning God helps you in the process. You're not alone. You're not alone. He helps you know him. He helps you love him. And he helps you follow him. The question is, will you toil, struggle with all the energy he has given you? Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is probably the apex of what we're talking about. Why? Because our culture firmly goes against this. Our culture says, never deny yourself. 
Never deny yourself. Look at what they're telling kids. Pick your gender. Pick your words. Pick your pronouns. Erase science. Erase the Bible and just do whatever you want. It's a recipe for chaos. And it's very unloving to give kids that much power. That's another sermon, okay? But let him deny himself. You say, no, no, no. The worst thing you could do is follow your flesh. The greatest thing you could do is follow me, but it's going to cost. Hence, pick up your cross. You're going to love me and follow me, but it's going to have people to cause to not like you. Might cost you friendships. Might cost you family. It might cost you personal benefits, membership at the country club, invitations to Christmas parties, business opportunities. There might be a cost, but in your maturity, you know it's better to follow Jesus than chase the rabbit down the hole. It's better to follow Jesus than look at what the world is offering you and say, that feels good, that sounds good, that might make me whole. That might make up for my problem with my parents. That might fix my marriage. That might help the fact that my kids want nothing to do with me. That might help me that I have no job or that my health's declining. So you pursue it and it swallows you. It's maturity that says it's better to not go down that hole. It's better to endure the suffering and follow Christ faithfully. If you think I'm lying, here's my challenge to you. Find someone who's 70 above who's in here. You want to know why they can barely walk and they still come to church? Because there's nothing better than following Jesus. They've chased the grandkid fantasy. They've chased the putting my kids on an idle, idle you know, pedestal fantasy. They've chased the retirement and playing golf every Sunday. They've chased the American dream. And at the end of the day, it's Sunday rolls around at 8.30 and 10 o'clock. They'd rather be with God's people, singing God's songs, hearing from God's word. Because there's a maturity there that says, I've already went down that hole and it hurts and it's painful. And maturity looks like understanding what is fool's gold, what actually will hurt you when you think it'll help you. And the beauty of the church, the beauty of the church is that God puts us around each other and says, that person can actually help you not make that mistake. That person can actually help you not end in divorce, can actually help you not chase your career more than your family, that can actually help you not chase the bottle or the prescription bottle more than your family, more than God, more than being a Christian. God says, I have put people there to help you in maturity. And here's the thing, everyone needs help at some point. You're not always the helper, sometimes you're the help. And there's so many stages and facets of life that require maturity that need help. Because when you're a kid for the first time, what do you really know? And then you stop being a kid and you're like, hey, I can help those kids. But then you're a teenager for the first time. And then you're an adult for the first time. And then you're married for the first time. And then you're a parent for the first time. And then you're a grandparent for the first time. And then you're parenting your parents for the first time. And there's people that have already done it. That have already had to learn how to be patient with an adult child, that have already had to learn how to be patient with a parent who thinks their mind is sound and their mind isn't sound. There's already someone who's had a kid say they don't love Jesus and they don't want to go to church and they already know 
how they've failed, overreacted, underreacted. To say, no, this is how you should faithfully do it. You see, maturity prepares you for those next moments when something is ripped from you, when someone disappoints you. And rather than lashing out and beating people in anger and fear and insecurity, you're able to stand and say, this is terrible. This hurts. But God loves me. Christ died for me. And he is with me. We're going to get through this. See, that is the hope that the Christian has. And that is when the non-Christian begins to say, you just lost your job. Why aren't you throwing things angry and cursing? You just found out you had cancer. How are you not crushed? Why are you not lost? That person just hit you with their car. Why aren't you swearing and kicking and screaming? Because of the hope of Christ in you knows there are bigger things. There are more important things. And there are consequences to those decisions that aren't worth going down that path. Maturity gives the ability to see and avoid for the glory of God and the good of us. So maturity is not just necessary, it's to your benefit. It's to your benefit. We need to be mature in Christ. Some questions for us to ponder. Why do we look down on infancy in Christ? If that's you, it's okay. If that's you for 20 years, it's not okay. But you still need to start. Don't let it embarrass you. Everyone starts somewhere. And there might be an area of your life where you're an infant you need to start. Don't shame it. Get after it. For the glory of God and the good of you. What is a healthy way to approach spiritual maturity? Know that it's hard and it takes time and it's to your benefit. It's to your family's benefit, to your work's benefit, it's to everyone's benefit for you to love Christ more each day. But it's hard and it takes time. What are some marks of maturity? Right? We walk through those passages. Being able to distinguish good from evil, fool's gold from real gold, harm from benefit, truth from error. Right? Those are some marks of spiritual maturity. Five, what roadblocks do you have to being more spiritually mature? This is going to look different for everyone. Maybe you know how to forgive someone who's wronged you, but can you forgive your spouse who's harmed you? Can you forgive your kid? Can you forgive your parents? Right? That's a whole different level of forgiving because of the intimacy and the affection and the history. What is that roadblock? And how do you surrender to Christ and say, help me Forgive, help me love, help me trust, help me have faith, help me have joy, help me worship, help me sing, help me read. How do you overcome that block? Last question, how are you helping others mature in their faith? This is probably the last, one of the biggest signs of maturity is that you're helping others mature. Okay, there's maybe certain areas of your life you can't, but there are areas of your life you can. If you're an older sibling, you can help a younger sibling. If you're a parent, you have your children. As your kids get older, you have more free time. There's other moms, other dads, other brothers, other sisters, other husbands, other wives who need to know what is it like to trust again? What is it like to love Jesus more than your kids, more than your spouse? What is it like to love Jesus when you don't have a job? What is it like to love Jesus when you want to move and nothing's going your way and the world is falling apart? 
How are you helping someone not make that mistake, not go down that hole because of the maturity you've had that God's brought you through? And that's when God uses your pain and your shame for his glory and someone else's good. And that's when you see there's nothing better than following Jesus. Look at all the good that's coming from this pain. Look at all the greatness that's coming from trusting and loving Christ. That we truly are the hope of the world because Christ in us is greater than who's in the world. Amen? So it's our deep prayer that we would be fully mature, fully mature before the world and before Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. Pray that we would be fully mature, that we would go through the toiling and struggling and effort it means to grow in our faith, that we would surrender more and more of our hearts to love and trust you. God, we pray as we get into, you know, the time and talent and treasure that it takes to have this maturity, uh, to walk with other people, to ask questions, to move from you know, milk to meat, that you would give us a strength and a perseverance to keep moving and loving and growing in our faith. Pray you would help us help each other to grow in our faith. And I pray now in a time of worship, we would love you, sing to you, because you're truly worthy of praise, because you saved us from our sins through your son, and we are forever grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.